Earth podcast with your host, Jake Weaver, engineered by Cedric Swan. Hey, everybody, we are back with another episode of Midnight on Earth. I'm your host, Jake Weaver, and we are here to bring you more knowledge, more light, and more love. Well, we have an incredible guest. Look, all of our guests are so amazing because we attract these high-frequency people with their incredible message. So we have an incredible guest again. Jen Fry is here with us. She wrote an incredible book, Communicating with Plants, Heart-Based Practices for Connecting with Plant Spirits. Whoa, already the title is like, it just grabs you. So she's going to be here talking about this and so much more. But first, I need you to do something for me. Follow me on Instagram at midnight underscore on underscore earth. That is the address. You can follow me there. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you go to get your podcasts, click that button that connects us so you know what's going on in real time. And of course, tell a friend, you know, your friends, your family, your coworkers, you know, their frequency, you know, my frequency and what we talk about match the frequencies for me. If you could please bring them here, midnightsonearth.com. Okay. So we're going to talk to Jen, but first we have to read her bio. So here we go. Jen Fry is a healer, mentor, earth advocate and voice of the plants with more than 20 years of experience with plant essences, energy work, and herbal practices. She is the founder of Bridget's way and co-steward of heart spring sanctuary, where she helps people deepen their connection with nature through plant communication. Jen has dedicated her life to the spiritual path of plant work. She is on the board of, the Organization of Nature Evolutionaries, and is a member of the United Plant Savers and their Botanical Sanctuary Network. Jen currently lives in Pennsylvania, and she is here with us now through the ether. Hello, Jen. Hey, Shake. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Wow, what a book. This is so amazing because I feel like as... Modern humans and modern civilization, we seem to have lost touch with the living beings, the plants that are all around us. And this book kind of reawakens that understanding. That's my hope. (laughs) So tell me about this book. In your book, you said you spent about a year asking which plants wanted to be included and what messages they wanted to share. Tell me about that process. Well, the process is actually way longer than that. I, I think I mentioned at some point that it was maybe around 2006 when I first got the message to write a book about plants. But um, back then I thought I was in my late 20s um, and I thought, who am I to write a book? Like, you know, it's not I know nothing. There's all these older people that should be writing the books. And um, and it took me at least 10 years before I realized that it wasn't me who was going to be writing the book. It had nothing to do with me. It had to do with the plants. 
And, um, and so after I had that realization, it still took me a number of years and I was pretty determined to not write a book about communicating with plants. <laughs> I, I didn't want to, I just didn't want to talk about it, but the plant, so I actually had another book proposal. I had about a third of a book written and it didn't work. I also had 33 plants that I was originally going to start with, which is an enormous amount of plants. And um, I kept going back to them. And I finally um, realized that they were asking me to write a book about the communicating with plants. And um, yeah, so, you know, sometimes we have to get out of our humanness. (laughs) Why were you so hesitant? Like, why, why were you kind of pushing back a little bit? Um, You know, it's a good question. And I'm not sure. I, I feel like, um, so one, I can tell you, one of the reasons is because I knew in order to do this, I would have to put exercises in the book. And to be honest, I don't like reading books with exercises. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so that was one of the main reasons why. But I think I just um, thought again that there are other people who would talk about it. But once I started looking through it and really listening to the plants, I realized that there are some books about communicating with plants. And I've learned some others more recently. But back when I was writing it, many of the ones that talk about it make it really challenging and they don't really, they talk about it, but they don't really give people the skills to go out and do it. And that's what the plants wanted was that they just want people to know that you can do it. Yes. And you only have to be a couple of steps ahead of another person to teach them. So even if you're not these (laughs) legends of uh, the plant medicine world and herbalism, that's okay. You're still a beautiful human with an important message conveyed by the plants. Right. And I think that's part of the thing about nature is that um, we all like we all have this ability to tap in and we don't like we so often think that we have to be the star or the know it all. Um, And meanwhile, there's other people who don't know anything and they decide to start (laughs) spouting off. Right. So we also have that end of the spectrum. But I think the point with um, working with nature is that we all have an integral role to play. And we it's important for us all to communicate and all to listen, because then we bring in a particular message that we were able to receive. And together we can start putting these pieces together to find a more holistic um, outcome for us all. Yes, of course. That's beautiful. So tell me, though, what do you mean for people that have never really even considered the concept of plant communication? What does this mean in a general sense? What do you mean by communicating with plants? Yeah, so I mean, receiving messages. I mean, like, you know, direct communication. So some people think um, they talk about observation and observations is a part of it. Like we do observe, but we don't just observe um, and end there, you know, we want to receive the message and how we receive that depends on the person. That's one of the reasons why we have the different exercises in the book is to help people start to have different experiences so that they can learn different ways of receiving information, but also discover how they receive it. So for me, what communication looks like is I get images. Um, I hear words in my head, similar to like my mother's voice. Um, I get sensations in my body. Those are the main ways in which I get the information from the plants. Um, and then I'm going to answer, ask another question. Your next question possibly is about discernment because everybody wants to know, well, how am I not making this up? You know? And so when we do this enough times, um, we start to discover a pattern and we start, when we like start to listen and we start to pay attention and we start to trust, we start seeing that what the plants are telling us, um, is 
true. It, you know, like if we start following them, we see the results of that. And it's just like, oh, there was, there was something here. Um, yeah. So what techniques did you develop to tune that talent and that connection? Yeah. Well, I can't say that I developed these techniques. These are techniques, you know, that's the whole point, right? Is that all of us have been, not all of us, sorry, outside of our modern time, everyone, like our ancient humans all communicated with nature. It was required of us. That's because our survival was dependent on it. So all of us throughout our bloodlines has somebody who once communicated with nature. So these techniques that we share in the book, um, they're found in, in cultures all around the world uh, because, you know, called indigenous cultures in particular still remember how to communicate with the earth and with nature. So for, um, some of the ones that are in there is uh, one of the biggest ones that I, I use personally is journeying. So um, some people call it shamanic journeying or sound journeying. And that just helps us to get outside of uh, time and space and receive messages directly. Um, the biggest one is to, to simply sit, to simply sit, get into your heart. That's why we call it heart-based practices, because we have to be in our heart to, um, we don't have to be, but if we're in our heart, it makes it easier to receive the communication and it makes it easier to receive valid and accurate communication. Um, so get into your heart and sit with the plant and just spend time with them, look at them, um, taste them, you know, uh, experience them. There are lots more. <laughs> <laughs> but you do feel like then it took some training to first make the connection, then understand the connection and then figure out how to strengthen that connection. So, um, you know, for me and everybody's different for me, I think I was trying to have the training first and it wasn't working and I was really frustrated by it. And, and what I say in the book is, you know, I had this belief that only special people, only certain people can communicate with, with nature. And I had hoped from the time I was a child, I had hoped that at one day I would be special enough. And that's the message of the plants is that we're all are special enough. We don't need to, there's nothing that's required of us because communicating with nature is our birthright. It's what we are meant to do. We are nature. So of course, it's just like communicating to your mother or your brother. Um, sometimes we have to learn the way in which they talk. You know, like I did have teenagers. I had to learn how to understand. <laughs> <laughs> I have teenagers as well. I know what you mean. So there was a kind of, dialect some sort of specific language and vibe that was unique to the plants yeah and i mean i think again it is unique for each person as well so for me you know, like i tried to have this training and it didn't work and then what happened was i just was spending time with the plants and it took me a really long time to realize that all these messages and things that i was getting when i was out with the plants and how i would feel so much better um after i would be with them and I would find solutions to some really big problems that were going on in my life that they were actually coming from the plants. I mean, it took me a couple of years to realize that. And, um, and so once I had that realization, then I started to um, want to share that with others. I wanted, you know, everybody to be able to have that. And so I did start to work with the plants and um, to see like, well, how can we help people learn this? And, um, and so that is where, you know, my work comes in, but I think, you know, some of us do remember, never forgot how to communicate with plants. <laughs> Truly. And even some of the highest spiritual teachers throughout many cultures around the world have this ability to communicate with plants in their legends and their lore. They talk about how these people could talk to nature, animals, plants, and they were receiving yeah. conscious information. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. This is not, I mean, 
you know, in our modern day, some people think it's weird or crazy. I've definitely been called, you know, all of that. But it's really, if you look at the whole span of time, it's the, those of us who don't communicate or don't think that we can communicate, we're the outliers or they're the outliers. Well, you're participating in the true human experience, the natural experience. The people that are condoning it, or excuse me, the people that are dismissing it are in the matrix. Like right. they're in the false created world that doesn't even exist outside of the human mind, the collective human mind. And they're throwing stones at you, not even realizing that you're living in the truest, most natural place where humans should be. Yeah. And our culture, you know, feeds that of course, and like supports it. And we all have to overcome our traumas to be able to hear what nature has to say. Absolutely. And you do say in your book that plants want to communicate with us. They generally enjoy humans. They do, which is something that's interesting because, um, you know, I often, I mean, I hear different things from people. So one of the, <laughs> one of the common ones is that they're afraid to communicate with plants. Um, some because they don't want them to be intelligent because, you know, they're vegan. And if they're, if plants are intelligent, then who can I eat? But also, also because they're so convinced that plants are going to hate us and they're going to like, you know, read us a litany of all the things that humans have done wrong. And, um, and I think that's fair, but that's not been my experience with plants. Not that they haven't called me out on my stuff. They definitely can do that. And they can definitely say, Hey, you messed up here, but it's not like, it's not the Catholic school nun, right? Like with the ruler, they're just there to bring my awareness to something and to encourage me to try again. Right. Because they were here before humans, they evolved and were on this planet long before humans were here. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, they look at us as the, the little siblings that need some help and we do. And, and the other reason why we need help is because, you know, the plants and all of our other um, kin and nature, they all remember who they are and why they're here. And we don't, we go through this amnesia bit. And again, our culture feeds that amnesia. And so the plants just help us to, um, you know, they, I don't want to say they take pity on us, but they see that we need extra support. And so they've um, agreed to help us. Well, they can see the bigger picture. They're connected right. to an even higher consciousness, which is rooted in absolute truth. So they know exactly what's going on. We're just putting it through the human filters, but they know that we have a story and they're here to help us. And how do they feel about being a part of the food supply for humans and other animals? Do they just accept that as, as their life role? Yeah, so I think so. I mean, you know, I I am still like, I still am a human, so I still see things through my human lens, and there's no way I can go outside of it. I try right. my best to get to be that hollow bone, and I do have moments, but one never knows. But my experience with the plants is whenever I like, I ask permission to harvest, and even my garden, I ask permission to harvest, and they're happy to. Um, I'm sure there are some plants that don't want to be harvested, and I definitely hear no, like. Um, you know, I always encourage people to pay attention and to ask. And if you're not receiving no's, then to question that, like you have to be willing to hear it. Um, but in, I've also grown plants with the idea that I was just going to grow them to honor them and not to harvest them at all. And they didn't do so well. You know, they did great the first couple of years, but then they just didn't because they needed that. They needed it's the rejuvenation for them. There's some sort of reciprocal energetic situation that's part of their whole being, the essence of their being. Absolutely. And so plants, I mean, I think, again, all of nature, other animals as well, 
they recognize that death is just a, another transition in life. It's just a continuous cycle. And so they don't look at it the same way that we do and, um, and recognize the need for giving and receiving. Wow. That's really powerful. So do plants have a collective consciousness or do they have an individual consciousness or is it a fusion of both? I, yeah, I think both. And, um, you know, when I was first learning to work with, um, this was, you know, much later after plant communication, but when I was first learning to work more with plant spirits, uh, I was reading a lot and they were talking about that. If you connect in with a tree, like ash tree, you have, you'll have the connect to the same spirit that you would if you connect to an ash tree in Europe. Okay. And, and you'll get the same messages. And I think that there's a truth to that. You know, it's saying it would be the same as a plant connecting to a human though. Like, so, you know, a plant connecting with a human here can receive, have a similar experience um, as a plant connecting to a human in Europe. It's hard for us to understand that we are all one species. We like to focus on our individuality aspect of it. And so I think with plants, they are both, they do have the, they're tapped into the hologram. So they have the whole um, consciousness, holographic consciousness. They have the consciousness of all plants. They have the consciousness of the species, but it is possible to have individual consciousness as well. And so like some, so I say Ash, because one of my biggest beloveds and who I was connecting with earlier um, is an ash tree that's actually in Vermont. And that one has, um, it's easiest to see it with trees because they're so, they live longer. So they're so defined by their environment um, and they develop their own unique personalities. Wow. That just made me think of Julia Butterfly Hill, the activist and the redwood tree that she sat in and she named right. it Luna and had a very intimate relationship with it. She felt. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Just like humans, though, like you point out, we are one. So we're a part of this collective human consciousness. We just rest more in our individuality, it seems. Yeah, we don't tend to like to think of ourselves as having, you know, this as being a species that we have this collective um, connectedness, which, you know, maybe that's part of our downfall because, you know, maybe we remembered that we're actually um, one species. It would be easier for us to take care of one another. Oh, I hope so. I, I, I really feel like that energy is kind of part of our personal spiritual evolution as a species is to understand that and kind of unlock that. But what mm -hmm. triggered our amnesia? Like we had this connection. There was tens of thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of years of deep connection with plants and nature. What happened? What, what triggered the amnesia? I think that's the ultimate question <laughs> because, you know, and I've heard, I've heard various answers for it from like, you know, alien invasion to <laughs> viruses to um, simply greed or, um, you know, different cultures have different answers to that. And the truth is, I don't know. I mean, all I do know is that we as, and I don't know if it has to be this way, or it is just the way that it happens. But as we come into human form, as we go from spirit into human form, into life, there is an amnesiac experience that goes on there. So when we're in spirit world, everything, like we agree to certain lessons on this earth and everything seems like perfect and wonderful. And then we come here and we forget who we are. We forget that we agreed to these lessons. And then everything becomes like hell. We're like, why, why are all these people so horrible to me? And why am I having to go through all this like treachery when, when it's actually what we set up for ourselves. 
So, um, so there is that amnesiac experience from coming into human form. And then, you know, then there's the whole culture bit too, that between colonialism and this, the setup of hierarchy. And I'm not exactly sure where that first started, but that idea that some people or some beings are better than others, that I think is a huge driver for the amnesia and, um, and it's anti-nature, like nature doesn't work on a hierarchy, no matter how much we try to force it. And um, and it just causes us to forget that we are even part of nature. I think it had something to do with scarcity of resources and people controlling them, then elevating themselves to power and the people that needed the resources then going along with the insanity because they right. wanted to survive. That's just my conjecture. I don't know. It's very strange. Yeah, it's it definitely strange. I mean, what's really strange to me is, you know, um, like I, again, I have a garden, right? And so right now we have these, we grow these sun gold tomatoes and it's one plant. That's all we have is one plant. And I'm so inundated with tomatoes that I want to just like start handing them out to anybody. <laughs> Seriously, we had um, people come to our house. I can't even think who it was right now, but it wasn't somebody I knew they were coming to do work. And I'm like, Hey, could you take some tomatoes home with you? And it's just from one plant. So it's like, that's the reality of nature is that there's so much abundance around us all the time. If we would just look like all of our answers, all, everything we need is all around us. But we get so caught up in that it's that this illusion of separation and illusion of scarcity that it drives all this crazy behavior. Well, I've heard Ram Dass say in a lecture that that feeling that scarcity may have been a reality in the past, but we're past that now. Like we, we have, so we need to evolve spiritually. Like we, right. we have infinite abundance. We've figured right. out how to create something from nothing in usually every category. So right. of life that you can imagine. So we have this power. We just have to get back in harmony with nature because you say in your book that loving nature is the revolution. It is. Well, well I, tell mean, me I think about love that. it. You, I think love is the only way. You, I loved your opening, um, but that's that's my feeling is that love is the way for us to evolve. It's the way for us to heal. It's the truth. It's who we are. It's like all of this. And so, so often as humans, when we look around the world and see, you know, right now it's really easy with the climatic change, right? So it's you, you see the fires, you see the floods, you see like um, huge droughts and like all kinds of horrible things. Um, when we, you know, when we look out at all this stuff uh, with Earth and all the fires and the floods and the droughts, it's easy to get caught up in that. And and the human reaction is, oh, we have to heal the Earth. And in that, it's like again thinking that humans have to do something rather than recognizing that all of this that's occurring is part of the Earth's healing operation as it is. It's just trying to get Earth back to homeostasis. And humans, what we need to do is we need to love the Earth. Because when we love the Earth, when we love ourselves, when we and when I say love the Earth, I do mean love ourselves, love one another, then that's what what really creates the healing and what really creates change because love means that you care about one another's soul and what's best in alignment for them and their, and their path. And so um, then we can stop doing all of the horrible things that we do to earth and one another. Exactly. No, that's an incredible point because the earth will regenerate. 
the earth is infinite abundance. If it actually is scarce on a resource, all of a sudden some asteroid will show up and it'll give it exactly what it needs because it's a living being with its own law of attraction mechanisms in place. Mm -hmm. So the earth will regenerate just fine. It's us, the humans. We are the ones that have the work. We are the ones that need to do the work ourselves. And it's a personal situation. We can't, again, externalize that, whether it's the earth or other people, it's us. We have to do it within ourselves. And then that will reflect out into the hologram that we're talking about, nature, all of that. And that will change and then we'll get there. One hopes. (laughs) I think so because of conversations like this, because of people like yourself, myself, and the millions of people that are like us that are here to help earth evolve, but also have that recognition of love and unity. When we recognize the light within each of us and when we realize that we're all light beings in a physical body and it doesn't matter where we're from, our gender, or wherever we show up, that's when we will be one world because then we'll realize, oh, we're all this thing. And that's one of those activation points that we actually talk about quite a bit on this show. Yeah. Whenever I get a little um, down about it or get a little hopeless, when I go to the plants, they just remind me that there's already been so much that's shifted just in my lifetime. Cause sometimes I go back to like my parents, you know, my dad's a big hippie. And so I go back and I'm like, Hey, there was all this push for like getting back to the garden. And, and yet here we are, like there was all that civil rights movement and yet here we are. And so they just show me like so much that has shifted again, often in small doses, but it's happening and oh, yeah. um, and all the people, like you said, all the people who are out there trying to um, bring a more loving world into existence. Yes. David Byrne, lead singer of the Talking Heads, had an incredible quote where he said, the revolution happens in increments. It's never mm-hmm. going to be this polar shift. If we really want to change the world, it's one step at a time. And that's what we're doing. Yes. Look at how earth has changed. Look at humanity. Look, we've made some mistakes, but if it was a stock, if you could see a chart, humanity is going up, up, up because the love frequency is amplified. And you related that in your book to the story of Jesus and Christianity, which I thought was so beautiful where 2000 years later, That seems like a long time, but there have been tidal shifts of bringing in love. Can you talk about that more? Yeah. um, Thanks for giving me that context. I was like, oh, no, what did I say? But yeah, so I think, um, so yeah, I had another um, down moment. Well, I, you know, I had a past life thing that I did and where I was experiencing back in Jesus's time and, um, and I could feel all the energy, both of the people who were really, um, listening and in love with him and doing the work that he was asking to do. And then also the people who really um, wanted to stop his message. And, um, and when I came out of it, I thought for days, I was in a deep depression because I'm like, Hey, 2000 years have gone past and we're not any closer to being this loving world that he was bringing forward and sharing. And, um, and again, I did some more work with um, Yeshua or Jesus and, and he just reminded me that, you know, look around, like really look around, look at how much more loving this world is. And even in my own life, and, and I sometimes, actually, as you were talking, I was thinking of my grandparents because they, my grandmother lived to be almost 101 and my grandfather 99. And it was like really interesting to think about how the world had changed in their lifetime. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. And, and I do, I do work with my ancestors too. And I go back and I just experience 
what they were experiencing um, as they were growing up. And for sure, the amount of love in this world has definitely increased from um, back then. Yes, we just have to continue to do the work. And from the perspective of the angels and the divine who are outside of time and space, it may seem like just this little (laughs) movement of the clock. Like, oh, they're getting there, you know, and we're like 2000 years because that's our third dimensional human experience. But we just don't know how things move in those other dimensions. But we do know there's, there's a beautiful forward progression. Yes. Well, you are talking to a double Aries, so I'm not always the best at patience. I wanted to happen <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Because when you leave this dimension, you graduate, you'll remember more, and then you'll come back and experience the fruits of your labor. And you'll understand, oh, yes, you are experiencing it, but maybe not as Jen Fry. Right. Of course. <laughs> but getting back to plants, what a beautiful <laughs> talk we're having. Okay. Now let's talk about psychedelic plants. Now, all plants are psychedelic and entheogens in their own way, but Mm -hmm. there are certain plants that seem to have a lot more power behind them, a lot more drive in that direction. Tell me about psychedelic plant spirits. What have you learned from them? So, um, well, as I, so there's a few things here. So as I say in my book, you know, normally when we, when I mention about communicating with plants, that's what everybody thinks. They're like, oh, you're taking psychedelics. No, 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 No. not at all. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not, um, one, we don't have to ingest anything to any plant to be able to communicate with them. And, um, and so, um, and so because of my family history of big time addiction, um, I was never drawn to psychedelics. I've had some experiences. I have worked with the plant spirit of ayahuasca um, and, and actually in my healing practice, she is one of my main guides. Wow. Um, but my experience with ayahuasca is very different than most experiences that you hear because my teacher and her culture works very differently. So, you know, we don't actually want to have the puking and purging. It's just really focused on love. And when I work with Aya in my, in my, um, with my clients, I'm working with the plant spirit. So I'm not actually ingesting or I'll take an essence, um, which doesn't have any physical properties. So I have, and um, yeah, all I'm going to say is that I think with psychedelics, um, it's important that we're in our integrity when we're taking them again with that amnesiac experience. We often want the, these huge, huge experiences. And part of it is that we want to hear that we are special or we're unique. And that's like the opposite experience of what an ayahuasca experience is actually supposed to be because the ayahuasca is all about like the, that we're all connected, you know, it's the, that we're all part of the universe. So, um, but we can, um, there's a deep hunger in us because we, um, because we, believe in the separation myth and because we're not connected to all there's just this hunger and it can take over and so sometimes when people are working with psychedelics they're looking to fulfill that hunger and it's not going to work right so whenever we want to take them and i'm not saying like don't take them i have i know that they can be really important healers and there's you know all this information coming out now about particularly in microdosing, how it can shift our brains and it can help us to overcome trauma. And they, like, I think all plants um, are incredible and have healing capacities. It's just about how we work with them um, and when and why. And so if we want to work with psychedelics, it's just important that it's really, really important actually that we are in our integrity and that we're um, doing these for 
good reasons, like really for us, we're soul, our soul is called to it. We're very clear. We do it appropriately. We do it um, however it needs to be. And, you know, particularly I mentioned ayahuasca, particularly with plants that aren't grown in this country or don't originate in this country. We need to be careful of cultural appropriation as well and that we are um, not causing more deforestation or collapse of cultures because of, um, you know, as Americans, um, we like even it's even more important and people in Western countries, it's even more important that we um, are aware because we've caused with colonialism, you know, we've just caused so much collapse of other cultures and that didn't end like that's still going on. So we just need to be really conscious of why we do things. That was a really long answer. No, it was beautiful and perfect. But as a plant spirit communicator, you must notice that these plant spirits, ayahuasca, there are other ones, iboga, are louder currently or being amplified than some of the other plant spirits. Is it because of where we are at in our evolution or are people trying to attract it or kind of attracting it by their need, that hunger you're talking about? Yeah, to be honest, I don't have an answer. My, I mean, I lean more towards the hunger bit because, you know, we like to have, um, we like the fast pill, right? We want a pill that's going to give us everything to like whatever's next. But having said that, like I actually had no desire to work with ayahuasca. When I was in college, um, there was a, a art exhibit of a, a shaman who had an ayahuasca shaman who had done paintings of experiences he had from with ayahuasca like 20 and 30 years prior. And when I saw those paintings, I thought, I want no part in that. Like I had, <laughs> I had no desire, um, but ayahuasca just fell into my lap. And what happened when I, um, when I was working with her was um, I had all these essences that I had created, but I wasn't sharing. And they were like, she was really adamant that um, I had to share these with the world. So I think that there, and one of them being her, like the only reason why I was allowed to make an essence with her was because I needed to share it with others. So I do think that there's a message there that we're needing about um, getting outside of the the conditioning that we have and the and love and healing. But I also think that there is a hunger that drives um, many people to it. Right, and then they look for just the material thing, and then that might show up as a plant containing the plant spirit, but they're just looking for something to fill a void that's never going to be filled because it's internal work that has to happen. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, Rosemary Gladstar, I remember she once called these plants the shamans of the garden. Do you feel that way that they kind of have a shamanic role themselves? Um, I don't know. Like, you know, I definitely have had that training before and we call them master plants. And, but I want to clarify that. So even with master plants, like, and I talk about um, key in the book is Rose. Like my teacher, Rocio, always said that um, she feels that Rose was once a master plant. And I feel like Rose is actually continues to be a master plant. So um, so I feel like there are definitely plants that become more teachers for different ages or like what. And I don't mean ages like human ages, but like eras, um, you know, or like what's what's up right now on Earth. There are definitely plants that are like these are real big guides for us um and so so i just wonder with the the master plants and the shaman if that's us bringing forward the hierarchy again and maybe not maybe i'm wrong uh, it's 
we tend to humanize things. I, I noticed that quite a bit. That keeps coming up in various episodes. We have this human filter that we put reality through. And we think that because we measured it and because it's a certain way that it's accurate. But a lot of the times it's still coming through that human filter. So right. it's not including information that may be foundational to the concept. Right. Very strange. You got to love the humans though, because again, we're part of nature. Every aspect of the human body can be found somewhere on earth. Any element that we're made of iron, all of those things can be found here on this beautiful planet. There's nothing that's exclusive to the human body. Yeah. But our spirit does seem to manifest from a multidimensional plane that maybe is not the earth plane. Absolutely. So tell me some of the techniques that you use to shield yourself with herbs because we live in this energetic reality that we're talking about. There's so many different pushes and pulls, media, society, for some people, religion. There's all these different pulls, but we do need to shield ourselves. What are some of the things you would recommend for energetic shielding? Yeah, so um, so protection's a really big thing. And whenever we have a need, nature really provides um, in big time. So right. there's lots, there are so many plants that are great protectors. I named some of them in the book, you know, like yarrow, St. John's wort. They're two of the biggest ones I work with. Um, but there's lots more like, um, I, not, sorry, not ayahuasca, achiote or anato <laughs> is another one. Um, aloe, uh, San Pedro. Um, I have San Zavaria here next to me. She's a good protector, you know, like, um, there's just, there's poison ivy, um, or I call her sister protectress. <laughs> you know, the, there's so many plants around. So how I work with protection, um, it all, well, for me, it all depends on the situation, but what I tell people is, you know, you can call on the plant spirit. So I often will call on them and ask them to wrap around in my aura. And I imagine myself surrounded by them. Um, you can carry the plant with you. So, um, like I said, yarrow is a big one of mine. So I had to give a eulogy for my grandfather. Um, and I was terrified to speak publicly. I didn't speak publicly back then. So I, you know, stuck yarrow in my suit pocket. Um, also through all my divorce meetings, I always had yarrow with me, you know, like you can carry with you. I, you can't see it because I'm sitting down, but I have a dress that um, I always have plants on me as well. So you can wear clothing with plants on them. Um, you can have jewelry sometimes like Tulsi is another protector. So I have a Tulsi a necklace made out of Tulsi um, wood. Um, you can spray them. Of course, you can take essences. You can take the tinctures. You can, um, we, we don't often think about like smudging for protection, but sometimes the, um, the, herbs that we work with for that, like Copal would be a good protector, also a good clearer. Um, Palo Santo is also a good protector. Um, yeah, there's, <laughs> there's no limit. Well, we need that protection. I mean, people need to know this stuff because we, like you said, we live in this energetic world with all of these different mechanisms in place. And we have to understand how nature can help us because people are taking these psychotropic prescription pharmaceutical drugs that may have a biochemical reaction, but it's missing that true healing essence, that plant spirit that guides you within the healing. Yeah. So, you know, like you said, we're energetic beings swimming in the sea of energy. So there's so much around <laughs> us. And right now in the, the culture, particularly in the States, I think it's, it's, I'm seeing it, it's extending worldwide. 
um, is this idea of vitriol. Like we got to tell it like it is, is what we say, but it's not tell it like it is. It's just like be as mean as you can be and really focusing on othering, which only um, helps to further the separation myth. And, um, and so there's just, we, and in our culture, we don't recognize that the words we say, the, the actions we take, there's an energetic impact for it. And so, um, when we like say nasty things to people, we're sending energy their way. And so that means as we're, even as we're driving down the road, people can be sending stuff to us. So it's just important to really be surrounded in protection, but also important to also then do the energy hygiene and clear our energy on a regular basis. Uh, tell, tell me some more about that, please. Yeah. So, so the energy hygiene, that's where we normally talk about smudging. So, you know, again, there's lots of plants we can work with. Mugwort is the one that I work with the most um, just because mugwort is so good at helping to clear energies um, and move energies. And so we can burn the plant and, and bring around us. We can do um sacred bathing where we harvest plants with prayers and then either we can dip them in water and spray around us or we can um, sprinkle water around us. Um, There's so like one of the things I do in my healing practice is an egg limpia where we're just like really clearing deeply the energies um, that we don't need. So, you know, again, we we tend to collect these things, but we're not aware that we're collecting them. And over time, they can really wreak havoc in our life. Like, um, I mean, a lot of anxiety is from it. Depression um, is caused by too much, too much of this energy sometimes. Um, illness, disease, strange accidents. Like I see it in my in my healing practice. It's really changed to focus mostly on clearing out stuff that we just don't need. That's causing issues. Yes, pollution in our aura. It's just like distorting right. the field. Right. And as you said, like with the law of attraction, so if that's in there, then that's what we're attracting to us more. Um, so we don't have to believe it in order for it to still be affecting us. It, do- it just does. Wow, Dave, that's a huge point right there, because we get control of our attitudes in life. We try to do our best, but then there's even these exterior substances energetically or these forces that are within our energy field that could be influencing what we attract. Huge point. Oh, my God because again, humans are nature, we're energy, we're a part of this reality that's all interconnected. And there are multidimensional beings, there are physical beings, there are angels, there's so much going on. And one thing that you talked about in your book, but seemingly kind of really didn't go into that much was fairies. You did talk about it a little bit. I want to know more about fairies. I need to know more about fairies. And you are probably, I'm going to say you are the person that's going to help me understand this. So there are higher vibratory rates, energy beings that are connected more to the plant world than the human physical world? Or what would you say? Help me understand this. So one, I already had a reaction to the higher vibratory rate, just because again, there's our human hierarchy. (laughs) So, you know, fairies are part of what I, what are elemental beings. And again, in our human mind, we like to categorize everybody. So we like to put them into categories. So there's, there's fairies, there's gnomes, there's elves, there's salamanders, there's like trolls, there's, um, you know, we we have all these um, categories for them. And we like to, uh, even in, within those categories, do a hierarchy. So um, 
So to the best of my knowledge, and I'm still, you know, understanding it myself and learning more of them, they're, they are energetic beings who don't have a physical body in this world. And they, but yet they are great manifestors. So they help to create the world and help bring into form the things that need to come about. So um, I work, I mean, the beings that I work with primarily, we call them fairies. And, you know, they, they can show up in different forms, but again, because they don't um, have necessarily a physical form, they generally, if we do see them, which I always encourage my students not to be focused on seeing them, but more to have an experience with them. Because when we decide that we have to see them, you know, there's so much more to this world than the scene. Like there's way more unseen forces than there are seen. So when we focus on that, we have to see them, then it makes it really challenging to have an experience with them. So, but that being said, if you do see them, often they will take a shape that you'll recognize. And because we have all these fairy tales and we have all these things, that's the shape that we see them in, but they can be any form. So as a young child, the fairies came into my life and I didn't have a word for them. I didn't have an understanding. It was only as an adult, as I started um, doing more magic work that I started to hear um, and have an understanding for fairies. But that's really our guides here at the Heart Springs. That's who I connect with. Sometimes I'll call them nature spirits. And, you know, one could argue that fairies are only a portion of nature spirits, but they're all the same. And, um, and so I, when I need help in figuring out what to do, that's who I go to. When I need help doing something, that's who I go to. Um, you know, I always give them offerings. I, um, they let me know that I'm not spending as much time with them as what I should. And, <laughs> Um, you know, so I do, I have ceremony with them. I sit with them. I have tea with them. Yeah. Wow. Well, this is what your next book is going to be about, right? Um, possibly. <laughs> so this is different than plant spirit communicating though. Like you said, they could exist within the complete bandwidth of the plant spirit, but they're their own thing. Yeah. They're, they're separate beings. They're not like so if we, if we talk about nature spirits, plant spirits would be part of that as well. You know, nature spirits are plant spirits, spirits of rock, spirits of water, fairies, you know, it's all, it's all the spirits there. Um, but yes, it is different than plant communication. So tell me more about your experiences with them. So they're here to guide us in our personal evolution, but also our collective evolution. I would say so. Yeah. I mean, again, like talk about love, like fairies are one of the biggest beings for helping to support that. And also because of that, they're very sensitive. So, so they have really struggled with being on the earth right now because there's so like pollution's really hard for them. You know, all the negative thoughts, they really respond to that. So that's why, um, we don't have very many experiences with them here in the, in the States, but if you go to other countries, um, where there is more like Ireland, for instance, you know, there's more of the culture that um, that believes in fairies and there's still um, people who won't build factories because that's a fairy tree there and we don't mess with it or, you know, we, we don't do anything with that well or we give offerings here. And so because there are people that are more protective and aware of them, they tend to be more concentrated there. Wow. And in Iceland as well, you talked about Ireland, oh. Iceland is the same way. Do you think yeah. our electromagnetic devices, things like 4G, 5G, all of these things that we have now are disrupting, they're causing distortion for these energetic beings? Oh, I'm sure they are. I'm sure, I'm sure there are lots that we do. Like, for instance, you know, it's harvest time here. So yesterday, all these 
huge trucks were driving down the road. I mean, just huge that this shakes the whole house and it was driving me crazy. And I said to my partner, like, what about the animals? Like, there's so much that we do in this world that makes it challenging for all the other beings. I mean, if we take the time to really feel into ourselves, it makes it challenging for us, but it definitely makes it challenging for other beings. And for sure, the, you know, the elemental beings are very sensitive energetically. That's one of their gifts is that they work. They're so good at working with energy. And, um, and so they're just very sensitive to it. Wow. So what do they have for us now, as far as messages, what are they telling you in relation to humans journey and their, our destiny? Well, I honestly can't say that I've had that conversation with them. Maybe I have and I haven't remembered it, but you know, most of the time when I'm working with the fairies, again, it's just about how to work with the sanctuary here. You know, we really, we're really working um, in co-creative partnership with nature here to create a place that serves all of nature. And so the fairies have been my biggest guiding forces for that. So that's often what we're doing when we're, when I'm talking with them. They also, one of the things, um, they do want me to do though, which I often do in my classes is we have a fairy glen and that's where um, they tend to be. It's also where I give offerings to them. And they, just to be clear, they told me that's what the place was. Um, I didn't put them there. And um, so they asked me to bring my students there. And so I'll take my students and they started it on me first that I would just go in there and they would adjust me energetically. And it was, they told me it was one to help me with my healing, but mostly it was to help me be able to um, connect more with the spirit world, with the nature spirits and, um, and like um, just have an easier relationship with them. Wow. That's incredible. And what you're talking about is the heart Springs sanctuary and that's where you live. Right. Tell, yeah. tell me a little bit of the history of that place. Yeah, well, so I mean, Heart Springs Sanctuary, I've lived here for six years. Um, so, you know, it's not been that long, but yet when we got here, I mean, so we have, it's four and a half acres. We have three ponds and a creek that runs through it. And when we got here, it was mostly mown grass. And so um, we've just been really working with the nature spirits to help it heal. What the, the way that we are situated is we have a farm huge farms on either side of us like we're on a corner so there's street but on either side of the streets are these huge farms and the water comes off of those farms and they're directly directed onto our property and um and in, and it would just go right into the creek which is really not good and so where i'm in the chesapeake watershed and the chesapeake bay is really um polluted um by mostly by farmland in pennsylvania so i'm guessing these aren't organic farms these are not organic farms. These are like, you know, drive your tractor trailers on the farm all the time, um, usually GMO corn and um, and lots of fertilizer. So all that fertilizer was going from there right into the creek. So one of the biggest things we've been doing here is helping to slow that down and shift it and also affect the energy of the water before the water flows into the creek. Um Huh. And I mean, I can get into like older history, you know, like back, back in the day, the, <laughs> the, the lands of the Susquehannock Indians, but, um, yeah. But you feel like it's a very special place. You were called to the place. I was called to this place. Yes. And what they've told me from the beginning is that this is my university. So now we're being called to go somewhere else. We haven't found that other place yet. Um, I've been looking for a couple of years, but they, you know, this has been my university here where they really, I really worked with the nature spirits. I mean, I had been working with the plants and nature spirits long before it, sure. but they've just been, um, it's been like amped up 
So, um, and it's amazing because like, you know, again, I said, I'm in double Aries. I thought we were moving two years ago and here we are, <laughs> but I'm also grateful that I've had those two years because I can really see how the land has changed, how, um, tree, like area, like I said, it was all mown. So there was areas that we just stopped mowing and now there's huge forest there where these trees are like 15 feet tall now. Wow. Um, and you know, so many more bird species and we keep finding new birds show up here and, um, the insects are like off the charts. Like everybody, uh, I know you don't have them out there and I'm sorry, but everybody talks about the fireflies here yes. and how like there's so, there's so few fireflies and like, man, you need to come to our place because it's a light show every single night and, you know, butterflies, bees, like, it's just amazing how quickly, um, the land and it's only, you know, again, it's only four and a half acres and it's surrounded by people spraying all over the place. So, um, but it's amazing how quickly nature can heal and recover. Do you think that somehow in the energetic consciousness of natural things like insects and birds, like they felt like your home, your area was like an energetic sanctuary. They could feel that energetic cleanliness, I guess you could say, just that true, that love free feeling, that love vibration coming out of your place. And then that pulled them in. Do you think that could be a reality? Oh, for sure. I mean, the, we also, you know, made sure to plant plants for them, but, um, <laughs> but for sure. Like, I mean, every place I've lived, I've always had um, deer show up and I've always, you know, like, so I've lived in huge hunting areas and I could tell when hunting season was because suddenly we'd have all these deer on our property. <laughs> so they just knew this was safe for them. And so, you know, we do have, we have signs set up that this is a sanctuary. We've worked with the spirits. We've worked with the energy to make it very clear that um, all beings are welcome here. And I do mean all beings. Like, again, uh, you might not know this on the West Coast, but out here, there's a big thing with um, spotted lanternflies. Um, and also, you know, of course, Japanese beetles have been around for a while where people just want to kill them and crush them. And and I don't. Like, they're welcome here. We work with one another so that everything's in balance because I don't need them destroying our trees and our plants. Um, and they don't really want to destroy the trees and plants. They just want to, you know, eat and live. Um, it's just like all beings. So we work together. Wow. And this lends itself to something that you talked about in your book. And that is that there is no such thing as invasive plants or weeds or invasive anything. They're all just performing a function. It's our kind of labels that we slap on them. Yeah. Again, it's our hierarchy and it's also our fear. You know, it's in, so the, the plant that I was talking about there was Japanese hops right. and, um, and I just actually was working with Japanese hops this weekend, which I haven't worked with hops um, in a couple of years. My partner has been the one that's been working with them mostly. And um, so it was really sweet to get to work with Japanese hops again. And so, you know, the key that like, I always give the, the little clause of like, I love native plants. I do plant native plants. And I also don't freak out about these um, so-called invasive plants. And, you know, the earth is always evolving. And again, if you recognize that the earth is um, intelligent and nature, all of nature is intelligent, there's a reason why these plants are showing up. And so often when I talk about this with my native plant friends, they say, well, yeah, they're really good opportunists. And um, so, again, Hops and I were talking about this this weekend and Hops was just like, you know, we're just trying to get you to do your work. And so, you know. <laughs> That's the whole thing is if we go about saying like, oh, my gosh, these are invasive plants. So when I said about the spotted lanternflies, you know, people with glee 
go running out and stomp on them. And they're so excited and they post pictures about killing them. And, and these are people who consider themselves nonviolent, you know? So I'm always like, <laughs> I'm always in shock about it. And the thing is that what, like, why, why are they showing up? That's like, my question always is what is going on that they show up in, in my own healing practice when it, with humans, when we get a virus or we get a headache, you know, we want to, uh, allopathically, we always want to suppress it, but I'm always curious, like what's going on that your body is in pain, like your body, that pain is there for a reason. It's trying to tell you something. So if Japanese hops is showing up, there's a role here. Japanese hops is, is fulfilling something. And if we just simply eradicate hops without ever having a conversation, we're not getting anywhere. In fact, we're stopping the evolution. So um, we need to like have these conversations. And sometimes there's no, there's no one answer. You know, sometimes they show up because they're healthy, they're good for humans. So like um, Japanese knotweed will often show up in areas that's good for Lyme disease and will often show up in areas before Lyme happens. Or, you know, like the hops here was really helping to slow that water down because I wasn't putting in a rain garden like I was guided to do. I was overwhelmed. So hops came in and was like, okay, we're going to slow the water down and we're going to get your attention. So you do this work. Um, you know, there's all different reasons. Sometimes they're here to help to heal the pollutants or, you know, help the support the energies of the land. Right. They all have a purpose, including the ones that we, again, slap those terrible labels on. It's And you can apply that formula to all aspects of life, the microcosm, macrocosm. We label everything. We, Like you said, we do the other thing. No, everything's right. here for a purpose. There may be behavior that needs to be shifted, but we can do that in a way that's beneficial to everyone. And then we can all live in a, a beautiful place together. Yeah. And often it's our own understanding. It's like, you know, we, we see something and we don't understand why that's happening or we label it as bad. But then if we have an understanding about, well, why are they, you know, doing this, then suddenly it shifts. Because they have a spirit as well. There's a plant spirit to these invasive plants as well. And they're like, Hey, Absolutely. I'm just this plant. Like, what do you mean? I'm invasive. Right. <laughs> So tell me what you think about this. This has been such an incredible conversation, by the way. I really enjoy our time. What do you think about plants on other planets? Now, we're out there traveling through space now. We're going to find these other Earth-like planets. We cover this quite a bit on this podcast. There are so many Earth-like planets that are being discovered by the Kepler telescope. Thousands. I think there's like 20,000 Earth-like planets that they've now discovered collectively so that most likely means there's going to be herbal life plant life on these other planets what do you think about that do you think that there's going to be a similar kind of energetic experience or is it going to be totally different yeah so i'm sure they're different um i'm also sure that there are you know i've always thought that there is life on other planets it would be bizarre that there wasn't the question is whether or not we have the capability of registering it, just like, you know, we have fairies here on our own earth and most people can't register that they're here or, right. you know, so it's like, will we be able to even see the plants or recognize them? Um, but yeah, I'm sure they're there. I'm sure they're different because like, again, we're part of our whole, like when we work with a, when we work with a tree, like you, I, you it's kind of circling it back to something you said earlier, but so when we're working with the tree, Yes, we're working with the tree consciousness, but we're also working with the consciousness of the area that it's around. You know, we're all informed, just the same thing as as ourselves. Like when we travel somewhere, we can feel very different than who we are. If we're in, um, 
you know, a situation with this group of friends, we might show up as a different person than we are when we're at work or when we're with our family. And so we're all, we're all um, dependent on our environment. And so of course those plants are going to have different um, energies and aspects to them. Well, I can't wait because if you think about herbs and herbalism, there's so many plants that our, that are specific to the human body as far as healing and what they do, but there are these other plants that don't really know about humans. What's a human? So they might have a whole different method of functionality or who knows, boy, that's, that's going to be an incredible experience. But another thing I'd like to talk to you about, which you did talk a lot about in your book, is this music of the plants machine. Now, I was a little disappointed because it's sold out on your website, but I want to know more about this. So there's a machine that, that can interpret yeah. what plants are communicating and turn it into music. Like what is going on here? Yeah, so this is created by the people at Dom and Her, and it started in the late 70s. And, um, and basically, it's a biofeedback machine, a device that's been altered a little bit. So you take a clip and you connect it to a leaf of the plant. And then we have a probe that we stick in the soil near the roots. So we used to say it connects to the roots, but it actually is in the soil by the roots. And what it does is it takes the electrical impulses, both from the leaf and the roots, and um, the difference between them. Um, so the difference between them in a certain range for each possibility within a certain range is connected to a note. Okay. So what happens is over time, now some plants you hook up right away and they start to play. Um, that often isn't what happens because of course the plant's electrical range is way beyond anything that this device can measure. Um, so what they do over time is they learn how to bring their electrical impulses within this range and then also to create um, changes. So because I, I had a I had a lemon tree that I hooked up the one time, well, multiple times, and she would like to stick on one note and it would drive me crazy. I mean, like I'm talking for an hour, she would play a single note. But, but then we got to the understanding that she did not want to be a singer and she did not want to, because most of mine were performers, because I would take them out to do talks or concerts. And um, so it was like, okay, now that we have that understanding, we're all good. But yeah, so it's, that's the basic understanding of how they work. And it's just amazing because over time, the plants learn how to play them and they get to be really good. And um, if they want to be, <laughs> well, just, I can't even believe what you're saying. I'm sorry. You're like, yeah, they get better with practice. You know, they're, they we're taking them out on tour, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so like, wow. actually one of the things that I would do when I would have a new plant is I would have my, one of my good singers play, um, for the plant so that they learned how to, how to use the device and they would pick it up so much faster. Wow. So, okay. So the energy of the plant, it's beyond what this can pick up, but somehow the consciousness of the plant, the living plant knows that it has to reduce its energy in a certain way to be picked up by this machine. Like it consciously knows that and then starts yeah. to make music. Yeah. I, I, I'm shocked that I have not heard about this before your book. I, I was blown away. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so like there's a couple big things for this device. So I don't, I, I know it says sold out on my website, but I actually haven't been carrying them for a couple of years now. Um, but I still love the program and you can get them from um, directly from Dom and her at music oh, of wow. the plant. 
Um, but so there's a couple reasons why I started working so much with the device. And one is that it really shows that plants are intelligent because again, they learn, they learn how to play it. And more than that, they remember how to play it. So like, you know, sometimes I have singers that I hadn't played for a couple of years and then I hook them up and they get right back on it. Um, and there's so many experiences I could share. Like I have plants, you know, that would play, 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 and then they get in front of people and they don't play. Like they have stage fright or something? Totally. <laughs> so I would always bring a couple plants with me. Usually I'd have an orchid as well because orchids are divas and like they, they're just happy to play. You know, they're happy <laughs> to be seen. And so it'd be like, okay, look, we talked about this. Are you going to play or else I'm going to hook up orchid? And then they'd start to play. And and then I do things with my um, participants as well. Like I'd have them. Um, get up and dance and so they could hear how this how the plant would change their song because really good singers respond to the environment and respond to us as humans as well so we could have um it doesn't work great in a big group it works better if you can have a, a farther area but we would have people sit with the plant as um individually and we could see how the plant would respond differently to different people Wow. And did you record these songs? Like, Oh yeah. And they're on my YouTube channel. I mean, I don't have a ton of recordings, you know, I'm not, I'm not actually a musician. <laughs> the fact that I was working with this device is kind of Whoa. funny to me that it just, again, it just happened. But, um, so I have a bunch on my YouTube. If you go to music of the plants, they have a lot, there are Grammy award winning, um, uh, musicians that have albums with this now and people like are incorporating it in their music. And, um, and one of the other reasons why I, was started working with the device is that, well, it wasn't why I started, but one of the reasons why I continued was because I discovered that um, it made me feel better. Like it immediately put me in my heart space. And so, um, so what, again, when I would take it to people to have them um, listen, often people would start to cry and, um, and it was just so easy for them to like, to connect in with plants then that we didn't have to go through all of the unconditioning that we normally do. But then in my healing practice, I discovered that if I had this playing while I was working with a client, we could go so much deeper because, again, it just helped to overcome the armoring. So even clients that I thought were open books, we just went so much deeper when when the device was playing. Wow. And this also lends itself to the idea that you could almost train plants to talk with speech. Like if you can train it to create specific tones and sequence, why not? make those tones like words. And so then... there is actually somebody, I think they're in Japan <laughs> that worked with the device. I don't know if they're still working with the device, um, but there are some videos on YouTube of it where they, they programmed a keyboard. So they would have like, first, I think they started with the family names that they had the name hidden in with certain um, keys. And over time, the plant was able to find them and like would look for them and would say them. And, um, and would say, then they started on some other words as well. It's been a number of years since I've like checked in with them to see what they've done. That but, sounds like um, we need an update yeah. on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is it, for sure. Like once this, so one of the reasons why you never heard of it before was because it was kind of kept secret for a long time. But once it became um, offered to people outside of the community, so particularly Americans in 2014, then people started just working and doing so much more with the device. And there's so many incredible things. Wow. So this is relatively new. You're talking about 2014. The things happen. You said it started in the seventies, but the device yeah. itself is just now readily available to the public. Readily available. Prior to that, you had to be a citizen or know somebody. And it was, um, yes, but now in 2014, then they opened it up to everybody. 
That is amazing. We're going to have to do an episode on that. Maybe next time we have you back on, we're going to talk about this more. Maybe we'll get one between now and then and do some demonstrations. So we're in 2023. We're moving in a forward progression towards hopefully a better earth where we're more in love with each other and we're more connected than we are now. How do you feel like plants can help us? What do you think their role is in manifesting that? Oh my God, Jake. It's like, how can they not help us? Like, <laughs> that is, that is the thing of the plants, you know, the plants, again, the plants just remind us of who we are and why we are really here. Um, and they guide us or they have the capacity to guide us every step of the way. So, you know, I say it in my book that like, I'm so passionate about sharing plant communication with people because just like I said earlier, we, when we communicate with them, we all pick up our piece of the puzzle. Right. And it's so important. It's so important that we all have that um, because the plants just guide us and help us to see this world. So often we are, we have such limitations for the possibilities for us and the plants don't have those limitations. So they can show us ways of creating better housing or, you know, even better economies or obvious like healthcare is an obvious one that plants have shown us for thousands of years longer, you know, what's medicine and what's healing and continues to show scientists that want to like put down herbalism, but it's still, the plants still guide the way there. And then in our own lives, like for myself, um, I had a brief period, I, I had COVID this spring. And so I had a few days where because of the congestion, because of the virus, and because of my fatigue, I was not able to connect in with this with the plants or hear my guides at all. And it was the worst three days ever. It was so horrible. I couldn't, I just felt so alone. And when I came out of it, I realized like, oh, there are people who feel this every day of their life. And so for me, like I can't imagine life without my plant guides here. Like they just they they guide every step of my life. You know, I mean, like, sure, they might not decide like, oh, I'm going to eat this cookie or whatever. But like, if I, if I don't know what to do, that's who I go to. If I'm feeling brokenhearted, I go to them. If I'm in need of healing, I go to them. If, you know, like they just they help me to um, uncover traumas, like they help me to just really celebrate life. Um, so the plants can guide us every step of the way. Wow. That was such a beautiful answer. Food, fuel, fiber friendship, spirituality, connection with source, everything that we possibly need as humans can come from the plant world. Absolutely. Even the highest technology. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, that's so beautiful. What an incredible conversation we've had. I've loved this. I really want to tell people where to find your book. This is an incredible book. People. I, I really want you to check this out. It's available at every place where you can find books. It's called communicating with plants, heart based practices for connecting with plant spirits. It's kind of what we've been talking about today. In addition to all the other things. So definitely check that book out. And her website is Bridget's way. And I'm going to spell that for you. Bridget's way is spelled B R I G I D S W A Y.com. If you go there, you'll find out everything about Jen, the heart spring sanctuary, the YouTube channel. And she has classes. If you could believe that she has classes. If you live in Pennsylvania, you can take classes with Jen directly. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, Jen? 
Well, sure. I mean, I have, so obviously I teach classes on communicating with plants and I do do some of those online as well. But then I have um, an apprenticeship program where I help people connect in more with nature. And particularly the first year we um, focus on plant spirits and we're doing that more for healing work, um, which includes healing of ourselves. And then as the the next year, we we spread out more. So we work um, with other aspects of nature, including the fairies and and ultimately <laughs> um, love, because, again, love is the ultimate healer. So um, that's the apprenticeship program. Wow, and there's a mentorship as well. Yeah, sure. I'm always happy happy to mentor people. I mean, it's partly it's mostly for my students, but also some people that, um, you know, communicating with plants. A lot of times, the the hardest part is just recognizing. And like I said for myself, it's just recognizing that you're getting messages from the plants. So if you're not, if you're struggling, you're doing the book, and you're not sure that you're getting anything. Um, it's good to have a class or have somebody who uh, knows how to communicate with plants support you. And so I've been helping um, with the mentoring. I've been helping people do that as well. Ah. Um, yeah. Yes, because it is good to have a guide in that sense. Someone with experience that yeah. can kind of fine tune your personal experience. And again, that's all at bridgesway.com. So you can go there. Of course, the book. Thank you so much for being here, Jen. It's been an incredible episode. We have so many listeners around the world, so many international listeners. Is there anything you'd like to leave our audience with before we go? Well, the plants just always say that they want you to know that you are loved and loved. And, um, and I just encourage you to, you know, go spend some time with the plant, give an offering, thank them for all the incredible gifts that they bring us. Yes, that's so beautiful. Plants are generous and they want to give, but they also want to be respected. And that's a real thing. Let's respect our other life form that we have with us. Just like the animals, the plants, we're all equal. So, (laughs) well, thank you again for being here, Jen. Thank you, Jake. Please hold through the outro music. And everyone, again, check out the book, check out the website, and we will see you next week, Midnight on Earth.